thank you very much for joining us again. I'm Sam Daniels. I'm here with Ken Sugiura. We're the authors of Buying Property in the USA, a Foreign Investor's Guide. Um, how are you, Ken? Uh, great, thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. Now, we're here to talk about an um, important, a sort of a detail-packed um, section of the book. And um, I should point out, obviously, it's a um, book of the same name, which we're the authors of. But um, this is a detailed section of the book and one which, you know, is very important. It's probably one of the most important chapters in the book. It might not be um, inspiring or uh, overly interesting, but it talks about the logistics of once you've found a property and you decide, you've decided you want to buy, um, what you need to do to get prepared so that you can execute the deal. Now, we, we, we put together a little sequence of, um, of how this process flows, and um, I'll just go over it briefly here, and Ken's going to tell you more about each step in turn. And the first, first step, in our view, is that you need to establish a company in the US, which is it's simpler than it sounds, and the company type of entity you're establishing is called an LLC, or Limited Liability Corporation. Um, then you go on, after doing that, to establish a US bank account. Then you get the contract from the vendor on the property um, and make sure that that's, that's all okay. And um, you organise the title insurance and ensure that the title that you'll get to the property, um, it will be clean title, um, give ownership to you and you alone. Then you'll go ahead in during what we call the due diligence process, uh, period of about three to 10 days, you'll go ahead and you'll get a full building inspection and a pest inspection to make sure you're not buying a um, money pit or, or something that requires too much more, more renovation than you thought. Um, then once that's done, um, you'll already have, at, usually at this stage, an estimate of what the um, renovation or rehab, as they'll call it in the US, is going to cost. But um, you want to go back and revisit that after you get the building inspection uh, because there might be some stuff in there that's going to add to that bill. Um, and then once you know what you're dealing with, you're in a position to either accept the offer um, or reject it, or alternatively, you can go back to the vendor and say, listen, I like this place, but um, the rehab's going to cost me an extra 5000 Why don't you knock 3000 off the price or whatever? So, Ken, first of all, um, what about LLCs? Why, why do we um, want to have one and how do you set it up? I think the LLC, I mean, what sort of name are you buying a property under? In, you know, and what name are you buying the property? That's a big question you have to ask yourselves. Um, sometimes, depending on the, there are a lot of considerations. One's probably taxation mm -hmm. issues. The other issue is the liability issue. Yeah. And in case of the reason why we we have chosen to use an LLC is because of probably the to risk minimization risk minimization yeah. is a, is a key. Um, in the U.S., you, you, know, you never know anyone could be suing you for you know tenants or someone walking the dog in front of your house and and then you know hit their head and slip their um, you know uh, your your courtyard and and you know you could be he could be suing you for for damage and if yeah. you have a property or if you have a, other assets in your name in your home country and then, you know you don't want some american crazy tenant calling you <laughs> oh, all that they did lawyers <laughs> yeah lawyers up and try and it, it's just a risk minimization and uh, paperwork is is you know you might think oh my god it's setting up a company is a bit of an issue but it's really once you get 
to do it, it's quite straightforward. Yeah. And it's a pass through. It's a cheap to it is pass through entity. So we talked about taxation. Taxation differs in each country. So you know, if your home country treats the US LLC in a certain way, you have to think about from the global perspective. Um, but normally, um, you, you know, LLC in America is passed through. So in other words, you as an individual are actually paying tax in America on the property. So it's, it's got a two faces. One's a legal corporate status and the other one uh, is the taxation, taxation status. So um, yeah, that's LLC. So yeah, I mean, I think it is the simplest entity, and as Ken says, it does allow the um, the real estate agent not to deduct thirty percent in withholding tax from rental payments that go to you, and then you'll file an income tax return in the US, and as the the member of the LLC or the um, person associated with it, and um, deal with it that way, um, which is much preferable. And also, as Ken says, from the liability perspective, if you have the LLC, um, someone sues the LLC, the the only thing that's really at risk is the assets which are held within that LLC, which might be only one property. You might set up one LLC in each state you invest in, so there might be two in each. But it, it does sort of create, um, circle the wagons around your investments so that you're not in a situation where all of them are at risk. I should add that, you know, neither of us have been sued and, you know, it's um, while there are horror stories about the US, it's also, you know, um, a functioning society and, you know, I mean, you're not going to be fending off lawsuits left, right and centre, touch wood. But what about this, the process of establishing an LLC? There's, I guess there's two routes you can go. You can do it yourself or you can pay someone to set it up. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think Sam and I use LLC to own all the US real estates after considering all the other options, buying your you know, own okay. name or yeah. wife's name or kids' names, uh, pension fund's name, um, your home country's uh, company name, all sorts of things. And I, I have other friends who use a different, different ways of right, okay. owning a property. Um, so, I didn't know that. But LLC is, is I still think it's the best uh, probably option for most people. Yeah. So it's worth thinking about it. It's, as, as you said, it's relatively inexpensive. It's hassle-free kind of a stuff. Um, and uh, sorry about the question. Oh, it was about um, setting it up. You can either do it yourself or oh, you yeah. can get an accountant or a lawyer. First, yeah, first time I, I would say you, you probably want to use a lawyer or someone to set it up. Then yeah. you realize that uh, how easy it is. <laughs> and then you start to think that, uh, hang on, I can probably do it myself. Yeah. And then from the second time onwards, you may be able to go directly into... Uh, some of the website and you know like a county's website or a registered agent's uh, yeah. age, uh, website to do it yourself and yeah. probably the most important parts of the information is the article from you know association and things like that so filing the paperwork, filing correctly, paperwork yeah. correctly but if you use a, a reputable uh, a registered agent. Mm -hmm. uh, the def definition of that we'll discuss in the books in more detail. Yeah. We even recommended a certain uh, registered agent to which we use for all our yeah. holdings. Um, but once you get the you know hang of it, uh, I think you'll be able to do it pretty pretty much yourself. And the registered agent, um, just to clarify, is that you can set up a, the LLC without being resident in the US. That's no problem. But what you need to have the resident res registered agent just so there is one official address um, 
US-based. US-based address at yeah. which the company can be contacted in the event of the summons being served on the company or something like that. You can't get around this, um, and we use a company called InCorp, which charges 100 bucks a year for this service. But you really, you really cannot get around that one. But you don't have to actually have a address in the US to set up a company other than exactly. the registered agency. And I mean, you may you may be lucky to have a, some relative in America yeah. who can do all that paperwork for you, or you know, be a registered agent. But in our case, we use a professional yeah. arrested agent who's um, in a hundred bucks a year, you know, takes all the hassle free. So, yeah. so what, what you'll probably do is something like me, I, I think, you know, like my first one was uh, registered a company in Detroit. Um, so the, my accountant is in Detroit. She did it for me, also offered me a mail servicing for, uh, forwarding service for a year for 150 bucks um, on top of what she charged to form the company, which is about 450 or something. Mm. So um, that one I let her do and then subsequent ones I've done myself. Um, and, you know, if I've needed a, a US address for some reason, I've just used hers and it gets captured by her mail, mail forwarding service mm. and sent to me. Um, but we go into all this, this pretty, you know, nitty gritty, I suppose. We go into this in the book and um, we talk about a couple of things about where it's best to establish your LLC. I mean, you can just, just, um, establish it in one state and register it into another state. And there's also a new entity called a series LLC, mm. um, which has some advantages. But we'll go through all of those. Um, we go through all that in much more detail um, in the book. Now, what about um, you're going to, the next step, I suppose, is you need to get a bank account organised because, mm. you know, chances are you've seen this property you like and you don't want it to go off the market, so you want to get onto this stuff pretty quick. Um, so what are we going to do about bank, bank accounts? What's the best way there? You need a US bank account <laughs> if you're going to buy a property. I, I have seen some people trying to try not to have one yeah. to own properties, but it's, it's I don't think it's practical because yeah. you will receive rents and you don't want to keep uh, receiving checks from US checks from the foreign yeah. US property managers and then cash in each time at your home country bank and uh, mm. the bank will charge you arms and legs for cashing in the foreign checks anyway and the other thing is that you have all sorts of expenses as a property owner like rehab yeah. taxes and all that you probably want to have a u.s bank account anyway the, to open the u.s bank account uh it's uh, it's not easy no. and uh it's uh, requires uh, uh creative thinking and and it's sometimes time consuming um depending on where you live i think depending on the country for example if you're a japanese investor you may want to use uh, Union Bank and if you're Australian you may want to use certain banks like uh, HSBC or City or uh, whatever yeah. or um, and Sam I think in your case use uh, different banks in America to open uh, yeah. yeah we found a particular bank which which is willing to open accounts for um, for foreign investors um, we, we're actually still in negotiations with them but also for those who are buying the book we do have a name and contact point um, at uh, one US bank which we can give you to open um, an account who's used to dealing with foreigners and I'm also trying my bank to see if they're willing to go in the book as well um, uh, and that you know, we think it's worth the price of the book alone. I mean, you're just going to run around in circles. Um, this is a really difficult step. It yes. sounds easy. It should be easy. But post 9-11, nine, um, um, the US obviously wanted to clamp down on money laundering and money held by foreigners in US accounts and wanted to keep a, a hell of a lot closer eye on where this money was going, um, that which 
you know, ordinary investors are suffering the knock-on effects of. Um, so you need to you need a personal connection, and that that's what we're offering you. Yeah, I think the other option is that when you're tra traveling to America. And you may want to try certain banks in that city that you're visiting. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, yeah. visiting the the branch office may may make a huge difference. Yeah. The other thing yeah. you have to consider is that uh, how many states and which cities you're going to buy properties in, because. If you're going to have multiple properties in different markets, you would be tempted to have an account with a national, nationally based bank like yeah. City or Union, uh, sorry, City or um, yeah, Chase or someone like Bank of America, for example. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, but if you're only interested in certain state, then you may want to buy just an open account in that particular city or even credit union in that city. Which yeah, which might have be only easier. one branch, branch in there. You know, so okay, depending on the situation. We won't, we won't dwell on this, but I think it's fair to say the US banking system is a lot more backward than people would realise too, um, which throws up its own challenges. And checks, for example, are a lot more prevalent there than they are in other societies. But just moving on with um, the purchase process. So once you get your account, bank account set up, there'll be a bit of back and forth. You'll have to send your passport and get various documents your copy of your passport, get documents notarized and you know, jump through all their hoops, but then you'll get, eventually, you will succeed and you'll have your account set up. Then you sign the contract or you receive the contract for sale on the property. Um, you just need to, now what do you need to check for on the on this tax? The on on this Ken, this um, these are pretty standardised contracts. Yes, usually. pretty standardised contract. But if you um, you know, if it's for your first deal, if you feel very uncomfortable doing, you know, signing a contract without understanding the you know your obligations and rights and things like that, you may just want to pay five hundred bucks to engage a local lawyer to uh -huh. explain all the things to you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't use the, the lawyer first time because you know, I happened to have a, uh, um, a family member who is a US lawyer who All was right. able to yeah. check. But um, And also, if you have a experience in owning properties in, in your home markets or other markets, you know, contract after all, property exchange contract around the world often look similar to whatever, you know, to, and yeah. I think the area you have to obviously check is the name of the property or the address yeah. and the area and whether it's a, you know, if it's a clean title or not yeah. and any special conditions, like if it's as is contract, for example, you know, often that's the case for the wholesalers uh, type of um, distressed sales, uh, yeah. often as is, which means that you're buying as is. You're not be able to call back and say, hey, you know, we found some <laughs> issues and six months are down, tra down the track and trying to not rectify happen, the situation. Yeah. That's not good. And if it's, you know, if you're not using, you often you're not using a bank finance anyway, so there's a cash transaction mm -hmm. and it's pretty much straightforward. I mean, once you go through one deal, one or two deals, you feel pretty comfortable not yeah. using a lawyer each time you go through, check you know. So, yeah, check them out. The other thing which can vary a little bit sometimes is the, um, usually when you sign and return the signed contract, usually by, these days I should add almost all of our transactions are done by scanning the document and yes. emailing it. It's perfectly acceptable and that's yes. how we do business. Yeah. Um, but the treatment of um, what, what the deposit or the what they call the earnest money deposit, um, which is basically once you pay that, you, you're in business, it's the property be held for you to either say yes or no. Sometimes there's a bit of a difference in the wording about that, about how much it is. Usually it might be a thousand, it might be three thousand. 
thousand, it might be ten percent of the yep. purchase price, and under what circumstances it's refundable. Most of the time, it's uh, unambiguously clear that it's refundable on your behest. If you say I don't want to go ahead with a deal, it comes back to you. But sometimes it doesn't. Mm. You know, like for example, properties we bought in Florida, the mm. guys said, "Listen, I trust what I." S- um, I back what I sell and I want a bit of faith from you guys. I'll only give it back um, if you can, if something, the building inspection shows something really terrible or whatever. And, you know, we, I guess I wasn't super comfortable with that at the start, but we just went ahead with it and then this person's now become one of our better vendors. Mm-hmm. He just has a slightly different approach to that because mm-hmm. he doesn't like tyre kickers, like mm-hmm. putting in offers and then pulling out and, and expecting their money back. He mm-hmm. just thinks it's too much shuttle back and yeah. forth. Anyway, that's one other thing. Um, so after you've you've made you've satisfied yourself about the contract and that you're getting clean title, you pay it via the EMD, the emergency, sorry, the earnest money deposit or EMD. Um, then the most important phase of the um, of the transaction, the due diligence period, kicks sure. in. And what what's the main thing you've got to do in this period? Well, since you're not living there, you want to inspect the property. You want to get someone professional to inspect the property and to find, for me, it's not a cosmetic issues that uh, I want them to go deeper and then find any structural issues, which is, yeah. if it, it could be a deal breaker. Yeah. If it's, uh, you know, I, I had a one deal in Phoenix uh, two years ago, which basically after the property inspection, we found that um, the, the issue was structural and the cost of, Rectifying it is just it just breaks up the you know break down the whole financials yes. for the deal. So I didn't proceed and then kind of I regret it because the Phoenix market took off after that. <laughs> but um, generally speaking, when you do such a due diligence or property inspection, you want to make sure that you engage inspector who ideally you don't want to be recommended by the seller because yeah. it could be buddies and yeah. at the, at the bar and stuff like that. And you, good sellers will say, yeah. choose your own. Yeah. yeah. Well, they might give you three choices and you, yeah. can, you can choose or something. That's kind of, I think, to me, is a cool option if yeah. you don't know anyone in that city. Or if you already uh, know someone who has done the deal in that city, you may want to get the recommendation. Word of mouth is always great to, yeah. to do that. But normally speaking, those professional inspectors, they are bound by the very high ethical standard yeah. You know, so we find that the reports are very um, um, important, good. Yeah. very good, and, and cheap. Cheap, three hundred to five hundred bucks, yeah. I think, and then you know it's a great insurance in my yeah. perspective because it gives you a perspective. Uh, okay, even if you don't have to spend two grand to you know rectify everything listed in there, um, but you you may know. Maybe six months down the track or two years down the track, you might have to change the roof or yeah. something. So you know what to expect, in, you know, in terms of upcoming upkeep, in terms of uh, insurance and uh, sort of the capex. And there's also like if you haven't been down this road before, um, one of the traps for people is to get the inspection back and go, oh my god, there's so many things on here. Mm-hmm. Um, any house, you know, even one that's not an REO that's been owned by someone, if you have an in, a good inspector go through your house, there's going to be a sort of litany of little things, isn't there? Yeah, it's a bit, really like, uh, it's a bit like uh, going to a doctor's um, annual checkup, and you know, there's a doctor, they have to warn you about possible, <laughs> any possible uh, remotely, you know, dangerous issues or, you know, risks to your health. In the same way, the property inspector's job is to alert you all the uh, potential 
issues, you know, even minor issues. And yeah. then, uh, if you, you know, if you read it, if you, if you have never seen an um, inspection report in your life, and you <laughs> usually first first thing you freak out and say, yeah, oh my yeah. god, what am I, you know, am I buying a lemon, you know? <laughs> but yeah. um, if you get used to certain deals, I mean, if you've done a few deals, um, you know, Okay, these are, what are the, basically I tend to clear, you know, differentiate the, the cosmetic stuff and then the structural stuff. If it's, yeah. you know, uh, fundamental issues like uh, foundation of the house or, mm. or water, you know, uh, sewage issue or something like that, or roof, yeah. which could be pretty expensive, um, you know, you have to take into consideration the cost involved in repairing them. Yes. Uh, sometimes those costs are huge that are, can be a deal breaker. We're going to go over time with this um, podcast. I think it's sort of almost a, a double whammy, this one, and I think it's worthwhile doing. Um, the, other, um, the other thing that is important too is that um, if you... You need to try where possible to get the water and the power on um, for the inspection. Mm. That's not; it doesn't always work. You know, there's um, REO might have been sitting there for six months or whatever, and you know, the, the local services can't do it or whatever. But you should strive for that to mm. occur so that you can test um, the air compressor for the heating and cooling, um, furnace for the hot water yeah. service, um, what if any other appliance that requires gas, water, or electricity. Yeah. Ideally, put them on, and if if they're unable to test them. All they can really do is tell you how it looks. Mm. You don't know if it's serviceable, mm. Mm. and that each thing you know, they might that might cost you ten grand mm. if if all of those things are defective. Right. So yeah. it's good to get a handle on that as well, as well as the, as Ken says, the structural mm. issues which are going to um, be a deal breaker yeah. sometimes. A good wholesaler usually has already done his or her assessment of the house and, and they usually yeah. give you a quote of rough quote of you know estimate. their yeah. estimate for the for their uh, rehab yeah and then um, you know if you can manage to keep all the costs within that time you know the the budget then you know the figure looks good that's why you're proceeding it and then of course wholesaler could could um, you know uh, obviously to see more repeated business from you because you're actually you know, they're giving you a very conservative estimate and things like that. So you want to eventually want to establish that sort of relationship so that, um, you know, first of all, you don't have to even spending $300 on inspection each time that you, you'll be offered a property. Because they need, you know, there are there may be property which are basically need a heavy, heavy rehab. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. really for other people too, because if you're remotely, op, you know, uh, monitoring the situation, it's a, it's a real uh, hassle too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually we're looking at properties where the rehab's less than ten grand. Yeah, um, it's, it's That's a, depending on the, the yeah five grand or three grand even, but or even turnkey. Turnkey, zero. yeah, zero is better, or even a couple hundred bucks. So um, you don't want to be obviously spending. You know, in my case, I wouldn't even look at the deal which is rehab costs more than 10 or 20% yeah. of the purchase price. That's going to start to be quite heavy yeah. time-consuming because that's also time opportunity cost for not having tenants. That's right. Yeah. I'm learning this very lesson in um, Kansas City at the moment. But um, uh, you put something in here which is um, which is really salient too, I think, is that you're in the due diligence period and you, the, the, the clock's ticking. Um, so what you should do is, I always try to do is... Um, 
get onto the inspector as soon, as soon as they give you the report, they'll turn it around pretty quickly, usually a day or two. Um, they'll do the inspection within sort of 24 hours and give you a report within another 24. Get onto them and um, have a chat about it. If, mm. if you, because the report's done to sort of pro forma, and mm. um, you'll say, you know, oh, this roof joist needs attention or something. You don't know whether that's a 50 buck thing or a $5,000 mm. thing. He, he'll, he'll grade it in terms of severity, but it doesn't always tell you a spit out a dollar exactly. figure. So as Ken says, you get on the Skype or email and say, hey, listen, um, what did you think of this place in qualitative mm. terms? And he'll say, yeah, go for it or no, don't. Or he'll give you a more honest mm. appraisal. And, you, and then you can just bring, that, bring the three or four things that you think could be money pits and say, what about this? And mm. uh, what about that? What about that? And no. he'll say five grand or... Usually they'll be reluctant to because they're not quantity surveyors. They won't That's give you right. an exact figure, but mm. it'll allow you to assess the veracity of what the vendor said. Mm -hmm. I, I think the, the, I, I often find that the most value from the engaging uh, professional inspector is found from actually talking to them after really? the inspection. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the report itself is something that are legally compliant and uh -huh, they're very yeah. careful about wording and they usually yeah. have a standard format and they yeah. put the pictures and then they have a bit of a very um, wordy sort of uh, you know warning about certain issues and things like that but yeah. you know I you know these people are uh, the professionals who have been seeing the houses every day hundreds of houses every week and every every month yeah so they have seen so many different houses and you want to get their uh, uh, subjective feel about the whole you know house and yeah. the condition of the house and you know, if they know that it's just off the record talk with you, and, yeah, nothing you know, in writing, nothing yeah. in writing, and you know, yeah. you know, and, and if you do a few deals with the same inspector, they're often pretty um, happy to share their um, their feeling. And I, I've been told a few times by certain investors, uh, inspectors, that hey, um, Ken, this is not um, uh, a good deal because it's just you know, really, yeah. it's it just looks really you know heavy in terms yeah. of doing something or. I mean, they're often pretty honest, and I yeah. tend to follow that sort of advice because they're, they're the, my eyes and ears, independently mm. paid, you know, independently engaged. So, yeah, be a brave uh, investor that went up against their yeah, advice. Yeah. that's right. And then, you know, I think out of 10 deals that I do inspection, probably one or two, I won't proceed because yeah. of the inspection. Yeah, hmm. something like that. The other thing is that sometimes it's not a matter of proceed or not proceed. I always say, think that the best thing to do is be really frank with the vendor. As soon as you get the report, send it off to them. And if you don't think it, the rehab's doable under what they, they've said, just say, listen, you know, this the, the inspection reveals that the roof's got three holes in it. That's going to cost, hmm. you know, 3000 to patch. And, yep. um, you know, the whole water service yep. is on the blink. Hmm. It's not, we're not going to get it done That's for right. $1,000. Yeah. that. They've got a you know a buyer they know's got the cash they've got the assets sitting on their books that they want to get rid of you know often they'll say well okay well I'll I'll take some off the price or, mm, or in, right. in one case I bought a place in Atlanta where there was multiple issues and I went back to the vendor and said look this doesn't stack up for me financially anymore mm. and she said well. Um, as a matter of fact, the last rehab was done with a guarantee, a warranty. So we'll go back and we'll get the company that did it um, to repair everything to your satisfaction. It won't cost you anything extra. So you never lose anything by That's right. I think that you have to ask uh, whether the, the issue is uh, a structural issue or not. If it's yep. a structurally uh, you know, damaging issue like termite, 
for example. Yeah. I mean, it's going to cost fortune to <laughs> fix the house and all that. Then you, it's, it's proceed not to proceed. Yes, right? automatically. And if it's yeah. automatically, but if it's if it's something you know, okay, you know, quite a few issues. But if you think that it's a, it's a cost issue rather than the structural fundamental yeah. issue, then you get the rough estimates and you go back to the vendor and say, hey, look, you know, this is, we're talking about say ten grand, you know, of, of all these issues. Yeah. You take the price off, or I walk. Yeah. And often they might negotiate, or they might say, "Yep, we'll, we'll address all this issue, and then send you, you know, give you uh, another chance to do second inspection. And if you're if you're happy with all this condition, then proceed. Yeah. And I bought the house in Atlanta based on that. Yeah. That, um, that way, um, I sent the same inspector twice. Before yeah. and after the rehab, and then uh -huh. the second time, all the rehabs issues being checked, you know, crossed out, and then I was happy to proceed. Yeah. So, but at the, the, all the rehab costs was um, borne by the vendor. By the vendor. Yeah. You've got to remember that, you know, buyers with the proven cash sitting in their pocket don't grow on trees, so they are often willing to negotiate. Yeah. So, so that's um, important. Okay, so we come back to. Um, we come back to that and you're happy to, let's, well, obviously if you um, don't want to go ahead, you notify the vendor immediately and get your um, deposit back, um, provided that's the, the deal. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you um, then go to wire the um, closing funds, not to the vendor, but to um, the title company or the attorney, closing attorney. And um, then you, they'll, they'll set a date for closing and, and um, that's basically it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, while you're um, waiting for, uh, for the closing date, uh, you may want to uh, start to get some insurance quotes yeah. for the property because uh, you want to have the insurance ready effectively on the closing date. Yes. And then sometimes yep. you better be very specific about the time of the closing. If it's 11 a.m., you know, it's starting from 11 a.m. or from that, that day or whatever, because you don't want to have the house burned between the closing date and closing time and, uh, of course. and the insurance taking effect. <laughs> so, and often the good wholesaler or vendor will give you a rough insurance estimates as well upfront. Yeah. But you know, insurance is premiums tend to change every year because of the natural disasters and all sorts of situation. And again, did a few tips about the insurance, in how the to book. minimize insurance and all that. That's all going to be discussed in the books. So we won't talk about it here. But I mean, you know, look, insurance is another cost to uh -huh. you. So you want to make sure you're actually paying enough uh, attention to this issue before you actually wire in the rest of your money. Of your closing and the closing by the way just a closing thing and because it's a cash deal often um you uh, the the vendor will ask ask for the the settlement or the closing to be you know within a few days or within yeah. a week after their uh, contract being exchanged uh -huh. and yep. the emd being sent mm -hmm. so don't ex don't you know, rely on your, you know, your house in Australia to be sold or something, uh, yeah, or yeah. waiting for your friend to lend you money because you have, you want you to have the whole money. money before, you know, when you're signing the contract. Deployable. Yeah, deployable. that's a very good point. Yeah, and often the buyer will ask, the vendor will ask for proof of funds to cover the whole purchase in your bank account yes. prior to accepting your offer. Yeah. And you, you, you're dead right, Ken. You need to have that money ready to go. And you also lose a few days often because, you know, you might 
close on um, the closing date might span a weekend, and then you've got a. Ideally, you have the money in your US account, but you might have it in an Australian account, and you've got to wire yeah. it from Australia. So you you do have a um, a delay there. And one other important thing which I failed to point out was um, there's another step in the process. Like once you sign and return the um, documents, they the, cl the closing package to them, the contract, they will then get back to you with final settlement documents mm. and ask you to check them over. Um, and also at that point, you need to just watch out that they have given you evidence of a what's called a title insurance policy. That's right. And what title insurance is, is that basically um, they've gone and um, checked into the title of the the property and they're making sure that it's a clean what, what's been given to you is a clean title um, that's their job um, that no one holds a, what they call a lien or has an, uh, any kind of ownership right that might infringe on your pure sole ownership of the property and that usually costs like 300 what is it two or three hundred dollars three to five hundred depending on the market it's but mandatory essentially isn't it i mean you wouldn't well, do a deal you, without it would you uh, i wouldn't do it without it if you're buying from someone else yeah uh, if you're changing ownership from yourself to llc or llc back to yourself within someone who you know no problem. once the yeah. title has been checked that's no problem you don't have to go through this system but Title insurance is the insurance you need to have. Yeah. Uh, given the US is, has a very inter interesting system, being able to, you can actually sell the property without, you know, for example, uh, you know, um, getting rid of all the other entitlements to the property yeah. from the previous owner, which is, <laughs> could be water rates or, or unpaid, taxes, unpaid taxes, a mortgage, a mortgage I mean, crazy, yeah. you know, housewives, wives, uh, <laughs> you know, divorce, settlement money, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all sorts of things could be uh, sitting on the property. So in case something later on, someone put the hand up and say, hey, I want the money and you don't want to be inheriting that, that issue, uh, you want insurance. Definitely. Title insurance. All right, look, I think that probably it's been a, a detail packed um, session here. So thank you very much, Ken. Much appreciated. Um, we've gone over time, but we hope that you appreciate the info contained in here and just be aware that there's um, much more um, detailed info, including those contacts for establishing a US bank account in the book. And um, we'll be back next time with another podcast talking about uh, what you should do after you've, uh, after you've made your first purchase. Thanks very much, Ken. Much appreciated. Thank you, Sam.